AA Podcast UFO listeners. Welcome to this week's show. At this moment, some of you might be wondering, who the hell is this guy? Me, Dean Aliotto. And what have they done with your host of 10 years, Sir Martin Willis? Well, let me explain. A few days ago, I received a text from Martin saying two things. One, he had to have heart surgery. And two, would I fill in for him on his podcast while he recovered? I had hoped the text was a joke since the idea of Martin needing a heart is kind of like the Tin Man needing a heart. Martin's heart is one of the biggest I know of. Um, well, as you can see, he wasn't joking, and I can tell you his surgery was a great success. However, I'm not so sure about the gender reassignment surgery he scheduled simultaneously. But smart-ass jokes like that one is why I'm guessing Martin tapped me to fill in for him to amuse himself while he uh, gets better and uh, hopefully entertain his smart, wonderful listeners as well. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a filmmaker. I made the first found footage film, the McPherson tape, and uh, the UPN remake, Alien Abduction, Instant Lake County, both of which happen to be about, you guessed it, UFO aliens in general. Um, then about four years ago, I spoke at my film's 25th anniversary at the International UFO Congress Convention, which, by the way, tickets for this month's Congress are 20% off with this code, and this is all in capitals, I-U-F-O-C, 20%. Um, since my appearance at the convention, I got sucked into the proverbial UFO rabbit hole and spent the last 14 years working on an epic three-part science documentary series about, yes, UFO and aliens. This is a premiere series and will be coming out next year, and I promise you it'll be a whole new take on the uh, UFO phenomenon. But right now, I'd like to introduce our guest, who's also in my new documentary, and who was patient zero in the now-famous Navy Tic Tac UFO encounter. Navy Senior Chief Operations Radar Specialist Kevin Day was getting ready to retire when, on literally his last real-world intercept, he saw something on his radar instrumentation that was not normal, to say the least. Kevin, welcome aboard, sir. Thank you, Dean. And my um, my heart and my goodwill goes out to Martin today. I hope he recovers well. Yeah, I, um, I got a chance to speak with him since his uh, surgery. Good. And uh, his humor is still intact. So, yep. And if he's listening, hey, if he's listening tonight, hey, Martin, hang in there, brother. Hang in there. Absolutely. Um, so, Kevin, first of all, how are you? We haven't spoke. I mean, we checked in before we were going to do the podcast, but we haven't really spoke since uh, I put you in front of my camera and interrogated you. How are you? You know, I have to tell you, Dean, I'm, I've never been a religious person, but there is not a day goes by that I don't thank God. And, oh, and many times a day, too, for what happened in the journey that I that I went on to get here. It's awesome, beyond words. Well, I'm looking forward to diving <laughs> into that. Um, yeah. But first, I have to back up a little bit and ask you a question that I'm sure you get asked a lot. Um, because Certainly. you're a part of the Navy Elite Top Gun program, I need to ask you, how tall is Tom Cruise? Like 5'9", 5'6", 5'1". You know, I've um, never met him in person, but I've heard he's about five, nine and a half, something like that. Actually sat next to him at a screening of, I think it was night and day. And um, I'm going to go with five, five for 400, uh, Trebek. <laughs> five, five, okay. You um, made him look taller. Yeah, he's probably about five, seven. Um, but you anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so here, I, I, I'd kind of like to go back to... Um, to before the Tic Tac encounter. I, I, I kind of am curious, and I didn't get a chance to ask you this when we did the documentary, 
Um, what, what made you want to get into the Navy in the first place? Well, I, in throughout high school, I was always, I wasn't a nerd, but I wasn't like a real popular kid, but I, w- I was always a kid in search and rescue and I like to go camping and stuff like that all the time. Outdoors guy. And I was on the search and rescue team. So I graduated and I kind of kicked around for a while and I, you know what? Um, and I was an exchange student right after high school. I went to Australia. So it kind of whetted my appetite to travel. So I said, you know what? I'm going to join the Navy and go see the world. And if I like it, I'll stay. And if I don't, I'll go back to college or something. And that's how, that's how I ended up joining. And I'm happy I did. I'll tell you that had an awesome career. When you joined, did you specifically seek out the radar department or were there other, um, um, divisions, departments that you were kind of considering first? How did you end up in that? Well, you know, section? when, when I, when a person goes into, um, the Navy into boot camp, you're, that person is evaluated from the start based on your education level and um, all kinds of stuff and your performance in boot camp and everything. And at the end of all that, you're offered some choices. So what do you want to do? And at that point I did choose um, the operation specialist rating. It sounded very interesting to me and I pursued it. And I ended up going to operation specialist a school right out of boot camp. And it was during the, the height of uh, the Reagan um, buildup. And there was a uh, three classes going on. There was two day classes and the night classes, 90 kids, 90 of us. And there was a thing called the honor grad. And if you got the honor grad position, you got to pick your orders where, where you, what ship you got to or where you're, you know, where you're going to go. Cause the orders become available. They disperse us out into the fleet. And I was able to graduate number one out of 90 people. Wow. I, I got. I got to choose orders and I chose the Vincennes out of, um, San Diego, CG 49. And it, and it was my very first deployment. I have to, t- I mean, since I brought it up, it was my very first deployment because there's people listening that are going to wonder, um, had nothing to do with it. I, you know, I was, I was there and I was standing right because my general quarter station had me right behind the captain on a station called Jots. It was a navigation station. And I was there right behind him when he turned the key to shoot down the Airbus. And that, that moment, that moment changed me because I decided then I was going to become the best damn air defense watch standard the Navy's ever produced. Cause I never wanted to see that happen again. Mm. So I dedicated my life to protecting com- commercial airliners. <clears throat> wow. Um, so you kind of got thrown to the deep end pretty quick. It sounds like. Yeah. Did, did so you're working in this division, and you're you're now in it. So so when did you officially become someone that's you know full on doing you know radar uh, instrumentation? Uh, you're you know from the from the moment you first join, you're doing radar. I mean, you got usually if you're not port and starboard, which is you know eight on eight off, eight on eight off, it never stops. Or there's three section. But when you're up in combat information center, you are sitting behind a radar scope usually. Yeah. And the way it's set up, you got the surface side and you got the air side that's kind of separated, but we talk to each other on the common net. And so we can coordinate stuff, especially the front table where the tactical op- action officer and the captain sit so they can coordinate everything and fight the ship if they have to fight the strike group. 
So um, from the moment you arrive, you are operating radar. And one of the reasons why I chose the Vincennes because it was one of the first ships with the spy system, the phased array radar system. Hmm. So uh, all, all three of my ships in the Navy were spy ships. So I had, when the Tic Tac encounters went down, I had um, 15 and a half years of actual sea time behind that radar system. So that by the time you got to do that, when I went at the combat information center and um, we were getting ready, it was several days before we were going to do a major air defense exercise off the coast and the air wing wasn't even out there with us yet. And we'd seen these weird contacts that were up off, um, Catalina Island, and they came down from low earth, low earth orbit, about 80,000 feet, stationed at 28,000 feet, tracked through our operation area, and all faded off the radar on all the ships that were out there, right up, right above Guadalupe Island off of Mexico. Well, um, and remember, you got to remember, we're, move, we're moving all over the, the operating area, and these things all disappeared off the, the same spot. Talk to you for a second, Kevin. Go ahead. Um, what I really want to hear is something that that I don't know that you've kind of spoken to um, before, which is um, I'm curious, the emotional timeline. Well, even let me back up just a beat before then. Um, before the Tic Tac encounter, um, what was your opinion on UFOs, UAPs, aliens? What was your, your, your take on that? Did you? You know, I was probably the least likely person to ever find these on radar. Um, I wasn't, I'd never seen any on radar. I'd never seen anything anomalous on my entire time in the Navy. Not that I was closed minded to it. I've been listening to coast to coast AM since I can remember, you know, for many, 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 many years with Art Bell. So I've always had an interest. Um, but I was never a UFO guy, especially with my job. I had to be pretty sober and straight stick when it came to radar operation, right? And you get the job done. So. This was a first for me, as I'm sure it was for everyone else or a lot. Sure. Everyone else that stood around stunned when it happened. <laughs> so you were, you were open. You were, you were kind of uh, interested. Oh, certainly. In the certainly. But and when it's right in your face, you can't, you don't have any other choice to be open to it now. Right. So, so let me ask yeah. you now I want to take you to the moment that you're looking at your radar. Yep. And Something shows up, and right away you're thinking, okay, these are contacts that we have. Is it, I'm guessing you're like, is this one of ours, or is this, um, you know, an ally, or worse? What? Take me through the discovery of that. First of all, are you still? Are you seated? The, what the, was um, that moment, and what time was it? The the way I was, well, not I, but the way we were processing this within the um, internal confines of the ship is we at the time thought it was totally civilian related and they didn't even know we were down here. However, they were, if, if that was the case, it was supposed to have been published in the notice to air mariners. So we, okay, that's them and they're doing their thing and we don't need to worry about it. That was missing. However, comma, um, we weren't that concerned cause we, all the ships out there we were tracking them on the radars and we were reporting the data back to the beach. So whoever wanted it, had it back on the beach. And, and we weren't worried because, um, there was no air, there was no, um, aircraft on the Nimitz. We weren't flying yet. And they came off, they descended from low, low earth orbit, 80,000 feet down to 28,000 feet, track south right through the operating area until the day, the night, um, the 
early morning of the 14th air wing flies on board, 13th air wing flies on board, and we're getting ready for their defense exercise on the 14th. And that's when I, be, Kevin Day, became concerned because I didn't want to run into one of these things. So Captain Smith comes down to combat and says, hey, sir, you know, we've been tracking these things. I highly recommend we intercept one. I don't want to run into one. I don't know what the hell they are. No one right. intercept one. Let's look at there. Um, so you say tracking these things. In your mind, what are these things? Have you made the crossover to UAP? I, I, no, I, I'm, no, 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 not not even close. I'm thinking there is some civilian uh, test project of some kind. Because you got to remember, they had they're going real, they're real high. In the, the only thing weird about them is what was that? I said uh, just letting the listeners know that that's your wind chimes. Um, oh, wind chimes. Okay, the, uh, clanking away. Yeah, the, there was nothing UAP about them at the time. You got to remember these. We were off the coast. They were going real slow, and they were at twenty thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was, they were un, we we technically call them unknown air contacts. That's the actual name for them. Okay, and they're moving slow enough that you thought at that moment that these are these could be balloons, right? I never thought they were balloons, personally. Well, did you think that it's moving? Because, like- well, because I had good radar, I had the highest possible track quality on these things the entire time. The highest possible radar quality. If you will, yeah. Because before, and we even brought down, we even brought down the systems just in case it was a a malfunction. And all the ships brought down the system. We brought all the systems back up, and we were tracking them even better now. So you rebooted the system. the system. No, the same tracks. Over the course of the, if I had to add up between around the the tenth and say the twentieth, ten days, mm-hmm. all the different groups we that we tracked was about a hundred of these contacts total. If you okay. added up. They appear between five and ten at a time, on different days, different times. If you added them all up, there were about a hundred of them. Okay, so maybe the, maybe the balloon thing was a Mick West um, theory <laughs> that snuck in. Yeah, I, well, you know, my mind's open. Okay, it's yeah. possible. Theory, well, what happened next uh, kind of rules out pretty much all of that anyway. So you've got strange yeah. context. You want to go take a look. So at this moment, it's still possibly prosaic. Right. Okay. So that's what, what I'm you, thinking. Yeah. I just didn't so, want to run into one. Safety of flight, I'm thinking, you know, I'm concerned about safety of flight. And there's about to be, was this before or after? Actually, you know what? I think we missed a beat because it was the night before when you reached out to Sean Cahill. Is that correct? And said, hey, get the big eyes on this. And, and oh, yeah, we were, he was up, he was standing watch on the bridge, up on yes, the bridge. Yes. Let's talk about that so moment. He, he, even me, I would, I would go up to combat and I'd get the bearing and range to a group. Uh-huh. And, and that I'd was, up to the, and I'd find him on, I'd check, I'd find him on the, uh, big eye binoculars. Oh, there it is. But the, the ship watch standards were seeing them all the time, of course. Mm-hmm. But I was down at a combat information center most of the time. So yeah, Sean, Sean was getting, um, feeds on where they were when he was standing watch. Yep. And he said something to the effect Good of, dude, by the way, Sean, Sean Cahill, Sean Cahill's great people, by the way. Sean yep. is the man. Sean is, is yep. Yep. definitely good people. Um, so Sean said something to the effect of what am I looking at? And he was a little more colorful, I think, than that when he was looking up because you didn't tell him anything. You said, Hey, can you get eyes on this? Tell me yeah. what his, his, um, communique was to you. Uh, you know, I probably don't remember well enough to sit here and tell lies about it now, but you know, at the time, I think everyone was thinking there was, these were still prosaic. Until the moment 
when Commander Fast Eagle Flight intercepted, that's when everything changed. That moment, everything changed. Okay. So let's take, now let's move back to captain. So you, you tell your captain, Hey, I think it's a good idea to get on this. And he says, do it. You're right. Senior chief intercept and visually ID, VID it. So I'm like, hell yeah. Cause that's what I wanted all along. Right. So during all this, of course, the air wings launching off cause we're getting ready to set up our, our for the air defense exercise. I was going to pre-position uh, different flights on these combat air patrol points between um between us out here in the ocean and the notional threat on the beach right we're going to play war so uh fast eagle zero one happens to launch it was happened to be commander fravor he always did that he was that kind of guy and one of the best damn pilots the navy's ever produced by the way so we take control of him we said can x exercise real real tasking says roger so we we vector him and i'm standing you know we got the the air side, everyone's watching radar, but I, I'm the senior guy and I'm doing training and everything and analysis, all that. So I'm on a long, I'm on a headset with a long cord and I'm walking in between watch stations and the actual air controller is right below me, right? So he takes control of them and we point him to where this, the closest object is. And as soon as he's in the, this, what we call the merge plot position, which is the same object on the radar and the same vertical piece of sky, that object, whatever the hell it was, Dean, Dropped from 28,000 feet down to the surface of the water. I found out the morning the next day in 0.78 seconds. Wow. Less than a second. No sonic booms. There so you're been simultaneously while Fravor's out there basically playing with this thing, dogfighting almost. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. So now when you're seeing this do that, I just, I'm really curious the moment when you go, oh, I guess I can swear on this. Oh, shit. Right, right then. Yeah. Right then. Right then. And then, and even more amazing, right? So he gets down there, he chases it down, and the thing, like you said, does a little dogfight with him. And all of a sudden, this object, whatever it was, and this is his words, not mine, it disappears right in front of him. That's, that's what he said. And we're sitting on, back on the ships, and we're watching this object, and it, it, it disappeared right in front of him and reappeared on Fast Eagle Zero One's assigned combat air patrol station and remember there were, i think we had seven of them mm-hmm. but it went to theirs to their cap yeah it didn't go to anyone else's it went to their assigned are you hearing on your comlinks are you hearing fravor as well oh, yeah we have him in the speaker so you have in fact when he did the intercept when he when he became to the merge plot on the speaker all of a sudden we hear oh my god oh my god i'm engaged i'm engaged just like that yeah so he at was, that moment he was he was shocked beyond words. Okay. Yep. So now yep. um, saying, you're saying drop down to the ocean, huh? So are you Go thinking ahead. at this moment, oh, my God, we're tracking one of these UAPs, which I yeah. think you probably knew as, as a UFO, not UAP. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're at this moment, oh, my God, we have one of these things. So were you kind of when you started to suspect that that was happening, was was, you know, were you just kind of going, oh, God, please let this be? Something <laughs> wild like this? Were you thinking, were you hoping a little bit right before it became clear that it was I, something else? You know what I was thinking privately at the moment? I was thinking, Oh dear God, please don't let this thing get mad at us. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> <laughs> so we're out there in the train. No, we're out there in a training environment with no ornaments at all because we don't want to kill people and break stuff accidentally, mm-hmm. right? So in training, we never have that stuff unless we're doing a scheduled Fire X or something, right? It's different. We're not doing that. We're out here 
doing an air defense exercise. So, so even if we had wanted to defend ourselves, we'd have been sitting ducks. It's, yeah. So it's displaying such an awesome uh, level of power that you quickly realize, um, you know, we've shown up to a, a, a gunfight with a knife. There you go. Good way to put it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then yep. so yep. now it is what it is. Now it's kind of like, okay. So at this point on, I'm just curious, what is your emotional, like what is a timeline? So you get that. How are you feeling emotionally? Are you telling, are you, you know, conversing with, with your other operators and stuff or with the captain? Is everyone kind of on the page that, oh my God, the, he's now engaged with something that's out of the, the book. I forgot what is the name of the book that has all the aeronautical, um, James Pennison talks about it. There's a book that has all of them. Like you, you're pretty well versed with everything, every kind of airplane. There's, there's lots of books. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, when it's no longer in that book, what, what are you, what are you guys, what is the communication like? The private communication between you, you guys as, as this is going on, the stuff that you cover the mic and go, blah, 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 holy shit. Well, you know what? Um, to be t- totally honest about it, um, w- although we were all highly trained in what we did and stuff, all of us had our individual specialties and jobs. Beyond that, we were just regular normal people with normal, we take kids to school, get them there on time and go to work, try to get there on time or just like anyone else. Right. So our reaction after this was probably very similar to the reaction on a bus full of people that, you know, the average is any other average person seeing these things, you know, the post, the post, um, effect of it, if you will, the post effects. Yeah. And I want to get into that. That's what I'm actually, yeah, the post effects about this is pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So, um, so as, as like Dr. John Mack calls it, ontological shock, where you now, ontological shock, Belly Davis, yeah, Belly Davis, yeah. Mm -hmm. And into that. And especially for you guys, I feel for you more than any other eyewitnesses on the planet because you're going through this shock, defending. And Dean, and Dean, if I could, if I could stop you there real quick and, if, if I do get the opportunity and I'm, I'm called to serve and go before Congress and give my testimony, what you just said is one of the key things I want to say is because w- when this thing happened and I went on and I went to DOD and I started screwing it all up because I couldn't really deal with this. So I wrote, I wrote that short story, The Seer, and published it in Sailor's Anthology just in case. And I published it in the Library of Congress in, in February 2009. Just in case this story ever became public, that my little book would be proof it really happened. And I went on with life. And I started to change, man. I ended up in the wilderness out here, if you can believe that. I went from Top Gun, BOD guy, and I'm living in the freaking wilderness. And everyone around me is like, what in the hell happened to Kevin? My entire family was convinced he had gone insane. But what actually had happened to me is I became obsessed with this notion that I could find the source to a family gold mining claim, the hundred year old claim we still have in the family, 160 acres. And boy, howdy, did I. <laughs> so boy, howdy, did I. I say, I think I sent you my research. You did. I want to unpack this. Yeah. yeah. So yep. just to finish it off for those, if there's anyone yep. out there who still hasn't heard the, the Tic Tac encounter, um, at this point, Fravor comes back, Commander Fravor, and he's, he, he didn't have any recording devices, uh, to the level that, that everyone was interested in, in capturing footage of. 
And so Chad Underwood, he goes out, he heads out, and he gets the footage the, that we see now. Um, so he's able to record that. And now it's you guys have confirmation. From what I understand, the next day you were able to see a, a snippet, low-grade because it was compressed to be on the server so you could get it. Um, and then there, there is, and this has been going on forever, the talk about a longer section of footage. Um, but the thing I want to touch about before we get into the aftermath of this is um, that you didn't see anyone come on board. There's a lot of rumors of people like men in black. Someone all of a sudden shows up and takes the bricks, as they call them, takes the hard drives. It just was gone. It was removed um, from all the communications that you guys had even was removed, correct? Um, my my personal experience with what happened was the next morning, because I was a major, I was a primary message writer for the ship, you know, operational messages. I would draft them and then I would route them up the chain of command and the captain would release them. They'd become message traffic. So I went up to combat um Combat information center next morning. I was going to write an after action report on what happened the day before. And the computer tech comes up. I said, Hey, uh, Petty Officer Voorhees, I w- I'd like to see the data on everything so I can write a message like we always do. And he pulls me aside real, real calmly. And he was emotional. This is Gary, Gary Voorhees. Yeah. He was emotional. I said, What's wrong, man? He said, You're not going to believe this here, Chief. I said, What? He said, Somebody came on board our ship last night and took everything. They even made me erase blank tapes. Why is this hitting you so hard, Kevin? It just brings back some cool memories. And I, I'm so freaking blessed to have had this journey. You won't even believe it. It's really neat. And, and the reason why I say that, I want to get back to the point I was making. This thing changes you in... It profoundly changed me, and um, I've sent you my research, and that, just for the listeners, uh, NASA itself is interested in my geological research right off the coast out here in, on, in the Calmeopsis wilderness. Um, it's ancient. It's a 157-million-year-old um, spreading arcs from the mid-ocean spreading arcs and is loaded full of rare earth elements, and yeah. I found it. Yeah, I described it, and I found it. But anyway, let me get back, let me get back to my point real, real quick, real quick. When this was happening, I didn't know that I was being changed. And my fear is if there was a mass encounter and everybody on the planet started changing like Kevin Day did and no one knew what the hell was happening, that might not end so well. That's right. So there needs to be education about this. That's my message before Congress. We need to start public education about what can happen if you contact these things. And don't be afraid because the contact will make you better. You'll get new inspirations. You'll get new talents to go with it. You'll get new obsessions. You'll get new create. It changes you in a better way. But if you don't know it's happening, it can end up not well for you like it has many, 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 many people throughout time. It didn't um, end well for them. It's, it's interesting for, for me as someone who I've not. That's why I'm emotional because it's important. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you were able to, to kind of take it on in a way that if you're feeling this way and you're someone who's trained for emergency situations and, and situations that are not planned, that's, that's all your, your training is, is for when the, you know, what hits the fan, how to unplug it, um, or turn it down. Um, then I, I get you being able to take in the weight of that. 
for for me, speaking for myself, I'm someone who's never seen a UFO that I'm aware of. Um, and, Amen. Um, Amen. And, I, yeah. and I find that it's still, it's the ultimate question. You don't have to have been an experiencer um, to, to appreciate the fact that, um, you know, we are not alone or to see it in other people's faces. I mean, when I interviewed you, this is, I think, 2019, um, my background had been doing crime shows. And I'd done like a thousand interviews and from interviewing, you know, perps, victims, um, 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 government officials. And you kind of get a, a BS detector after a while. And one of the things that really blew me away is that I'm staring down, looking at you guys and not a blip is going off. And I almost feel like through osmosis, I'm feeling your reality. And even that was um, palpable in a way that I remember telling my girlfriend, Allie, um, I, when I came back from the convention, the, the International UFO Congress convention, I said, I can't argue. I can't find, you know, um, workarounds or, or, as we said, prosaic explanations for this. So I, I have to look at the evidence. And I'm not a debunker or, or a skeptic. More so, I'm an analyst. I need yep. to look at the data and then, you know, and yep. basically so far over the past four years since I've been working, you know, on this doc and meeting great people like you and the whole wonderful UFO community, I have been presented with data backed up over and over and, and then timing that with what happened with, um, uh, you know, in, in December and Leslie Kane's, um, wonderful article on Ralph Blumenthal. Um, it, it, it's a whole new world. And so you guys were the kind of the vanguard in a way. And so what I what I feel from you and, and what we've talked about beforehand is how this does change you. And it doesn't just change you like it opens up your mind. But you're saying you're purporting to 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 say that this feels like um, you almost have kind of clairvoyance into certain interests that you had that you did not have before. If you can define that for us. I, th I would describe it as a clarity because when I did my geological research, I, I I didn't have a geology background, but somehow I was able to describe the geomorphology of those mountains and how the landslides occurred in, it, in a way that no one had ever done it. And I, I even had um, um, very senior geologists come back and say, hey, Kevin, your ability to read geology is incredible. What made it you want to jump on this mystery? Because it is a mystery that's been around forever. What made you want to jump on that? <clears throat> on what? On geological, the, the bald eagle uh, survey. Because, program. well, because my, th this thing changes you. And at the time, I didn't realize it. I just had always had an interest in that because my family was back there and spent a lot of years back there. So I, want, I wanted to go back. I, had, I became possessed with the idea. And when I was back there, my grandfather had told me something that I started thinking about. He said, Kevin, you don't understand. I said, what, sir? He said, we weren't, we weren't gold panning and mining, um, nuggets and Tacoma type bench gravel stuff. We, we were actually getting gold dust and it was so fine. We probably lost more than we ever found. <laughs> so, so tell me about, exactly, about what this is exactly. And then you can tell it's us. It's a placer mining claim. It's a 160 acre placer mining claim with a couple creeks going through it mm -hmm. out in the wilderness. For mining gold, and it, certain yeah, it was a gold mining claim. Yeah, okay, that's all. Just a gold mining. Claim. So I started thinking about it down there, and I'm thinking gold dust, right? So I, I put two and two together, and I figured out that our mining claim is actually associated with a much larger geology called the Josephine Ophiolite, 
And what an ophiolite is, it's normally at the spreading arcs when those, it's really heavy ground because there's hydrothermal vents and there's, they're laying layers of minerals. And when that, that heavy ground goes towards continental plates, they usually get subducted because they're so darn heavy, right? But when they get stuck on dry land, it's called an ophiolite. And that's what we got here. And it goes from Northern California to Southern Washington, as far as I can tell. And it's likely loaded with trillions with a capital T, a rare earth. I'm not talking billions. And, and I base, and I base that just on the type of geology it is. Remember what this is. Hydrothermal vents, spreading arcs, laying down mineral deposits. Based on the type of geology and the size of it, there, this could easily be one of the largest now mineable and I'll tell you how mineable now deposits ever found on the planet. So to kind of bring it all up to speed, um, time went on. Um, this whole story broke. Um, the Dear Moon mission came out with Elon Musk and um, EW out of Japan. They're going to take a SpaceX flight around the moon and come home. And they offered eight civilian seats. So I said, what the hell? I'll apply. And so I sent them all the research that I sent you. And I... And I, with the suggestion, hey, using your new tunneling, boring technology that you're using to put those tunnels in from L.A. to Las Vegas, you might repurpose them and actually mine this ophiolite formation from below the ground and never touch the wilderness. And I was I was outside the house four days later, and I noticed a really weird jet going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, low over the right over the wilderness. I thought, what the hell? Never happens. It turned out it'd be, it was a NASA flight on a geodetic mission. Swear to God. Really? They checked, they checked out my research, man. Interesting timing. Yep. <laughs> well, it's not, a, it's not a mystery. What happened here, is it? No. <laughs> so. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. So where are you so at this thing, right now? Well, this is, a, that's the good news. This encounters with these things. And I'm not saying that, um, one of the researchers that told me like this, he said, Kevin, Think about it like this. There could be 20 people on the bridge of a ship and everyone sees the UFO, but only one of them's affected. That's just the nature of it. Some people are affected profoundly and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the answer. I don't know, but it, I do know it can change you profoundly. Cause I, and here's my fear. What if there was a mass sighting all over the planet all at once and everyone on the planet started changing and no one knew why? And maybe not, maybe not just humans, because what I think happens is I think the vibration of these things tunes up the synapses in our brains. And that's where the new talent and abilities and ideas come from, because our brains improve function. And existing things within us are now, we can now see them and we can use them now. But what if the same thing happened to dogs, for example? They have brains. Well, Dr. Linda um, Zimmerman. Anything with the brain maybe gets tuned up by these, maybe. I don't know. Dr. Linda Zimmerman, um, she um, discovered that uh, animals are greatly affected by this. And because they, yeah. they seem I'm to have precog- yeah, precognition when it comes to, like, they know when their master is coming home. Um, the owner is coming home, you know, blocks, minutes away sometimes. Um, when chow time is, yep. Yeah. There are stories of, she tells this great story of at a toll booth, this uh, guy shows up at work, the toll booth worker, and he looks out and he sees all of these dead rabbits that are in this meadow. And he's looking at them all and he's wondering how, what, what took these rabbits out? And then all of a sudden he hears this, this like vibration and he looks up and he sees there's a craft 
and he's looking at this thing and it slowly flies over, glides over, disappears. And one by one, the rabbits all get up and hop away. Wow. So it is an insane story. And she's got several stories like that. She actually has a, a book that covers, uh, covers that. So we're all, everything that's living is affected. And, yeah. you know, as we I'm get surprised. into whales, it, whales too. I, I, I was too. Yeah. When, when this happened in November for, I had this odd feeling there was some connection with the whales when the tic tac thing was going down. And I, I didn't share it with anyone. It was just on my mind because. I used to like to watch the whales because I spent so much time out there, right? And it was that time of year, so I was thinking it was just a natural thing, especially when uh Commander Fress that comes on the radio says, uh, Charlie, we may have a downed aircraft here. That's when they saw the disturbance in the water. Mm-hmm. Still don't know what it was. Tic Tac's like darting all around the top of it. Right. So we, we left that out. But what, what Commander Fravor was going out to initially look at was it looked like it appeared that there was a downed craft in the water. Yeah. Sort of a, a cross structure. You're like, oh man. So we start, we start activating all of our search and rescue procedures and everything. And then he comes back and says, ah, oh, disregard, disregard some, some sort of sea life. Yeah. So, so you were talking yeah. about the whales. So you feel like the whales were affected? I do. Yeah. That's, well, that's my personal speculation, but yeah, I do. Well, you were talking about, um, brains being vibrated by these. I think the yeah, whales, I mean, they have such a big head, you know, so it, they probably know them better than we do. Probably because, um, you know, they're just going about their life and they're traveling much more out there. I mean, I mean, the fact is for me, you know, and, and I've been an armchair, you know, uh, a researcher, if you will, um, at this before the last four years, before I got sucked into the rabbit hole. Um, no one really considered the water and going under the water and that these, you know, under underwater submersibles uh, are reported you know, just as much by those who are in there. I think they call them fast runners. Um, and, um, you know, astronomer, uh, uh, Mark D'Antonio has a great story about being on a sub when they, you know, encountered one of those. And, and that's a whole other thing when, you know, when you look at the world and you say, okay, well, you know, most of it's covered with water. So what is going underneath there? The only thing that I'm confused about, um, and maybe, uh, you know, you have an opinion or, or, Mark D'Antonio has an opinion on it, is how are these things moving in the water so fast, faster than a torpedo? And now well, let me, let, I'm glad you asked about this because in 2004, when this thing went from right in front of Fastigold to the cap station, I think that was a message to be understood later. And it hmm. just so happens that I was the one that perhaps maybe understood that message later. Cause when we were, we were off SoCal, when we filmed the Terran Sky with Caroline Corey, our intent was we were up on that roof. We had uh, quantum physicists. We had the, some of the top gear on the planet to find these things. We had trained observers. We had a film crew. Our intention was to find and record this stuff. And guess what happened? They showed up with bells on. And you've, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, a Terran Sky. Mm-hmm. So I, I think intention itself is the missing link here. And so I started thinking about that. Okay, intention. And let me, I have a question. And this is where, this is where my, my thought analysis has drawn me to. We all ascribe to the Big Bang. I mean, pretty much, I was pretty confident to say that most science thinks there was a Big Bang. But I have a question about the Big Bang and I'm not going to talk, I'm not talking about religion. This is a physics question. Mm -hmm. It truly is. 
was the Big Bang intentional or was it unintentional? Right. So <laughs> in my opinion, um, it, it's, it always, it always seems. Well, here's, like, here's my point. Here's my point before you answer that. Sure. I have to assign it 50 50 because if, if someone knows the answer, please stand up and say, Hey, it's 51 49 or whatever. And you know, I'll, I'll entertain it. But until that happens, it's 50 50. Now, listen, now given that there's a 50% chance that our universe is an intended universe, what might that look like? And, and in the case, would not intention itself have had to have survived the Big Bang to become a fundamental force? Just like gravity. Well, when you say like, it's like strong and weak nuclear force, you know, I could name all the forces. I, I think intention became a force in both Newtonian and non and non-Newtonian. And that's what these things are engineered from. They're engineered from a school of physics we didn't know anything about. They're they're engineered from a school of physics that's based on intention. So if you're saying that this is all based on intention, the Big Bang, yeah. and what you're really talking about is um uh you're talking about a divine intelligence i'm saying divine but an intelligence that that intended intended this to to be created this to be experienced in the physical world because remember we've got all these different worlds where there's the you know the astral plane different dimensions etc so for the one that we're in i'm always curious what about the other universe next to us or the other dimension next to us is that that also have that that own experience but i like to believe i mean if you're asking me my personal belief is that um i don't think anything happens by accident um i feel like basically what what we're looking at here is something that we've all agreed on a chair looks like this a hat looks like this you look like that we're experiencing this um and you know then the question is why that's what i always follow it up with so i'm curious for you why was this intended to, to happen? You know, I used to, when this, for, there was a, there was a short time when I used to ask why me? What, I mean, I was just a watchstander, you know, what the hell? What I didn't choose to do this to happen to me. But after a while I stopped asking why. And now I ask how instead, how can I help to bring the truth out from this point forward? That's what I'm focused on, Dean. Mm-hmm. And one of my one of my recommendations, my recommendations before Congress, given the opportunity, is public education about this thing. The the, the need for science, field teams, science teams to go out, and I and there's I have a special mission in mind for that. I want to talk to you offline. And and I and number three, you keep people people keep asking, me, Kevin, you're going to ask for compensation? You lost a second career out of this, man. You lost you. You lost a wife of 25 years and on and on and on. You asked for something. And I said, nope. As a matter of fact, my, th- my goal is to bury the hatchet on this for everyone. Let's finally bury the hatchet on this. So it's okay to talk about. Um, and the reason why I feel that way, Dean, cause I, Kevin Day, I cannot point to anyone in government and say they caused me harm or this thing that they caused me harm. Therefore they owe me something. I can't do that. Honestly, I can't. There, there's no way on God's green earth I'm going to demand something from my government that I don't deserve. Copy that. I'm going to ask a, a question <laughs> here that has come up as well. Um, yeah. 
uh, in 54 minutes, um, it's, it's very hard to cover. We're just starting to like cut into. Well, let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. Um, here's a question from Ray Nash. He says, do you usually have submarines during this training phase? And if yes, did they pick up anything? That's a good question. Ask the question one more time. The question was, were there submarines as part of this exercise or in that, in that general yes. area? This was happening. Yep. And did they pick up anything? Yes. The answer is yes. Yep. Really? What did they, I, they I, I was, have, I, I, and I don't know for certainty, but I believe the data was taken for that too. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't have that. Did you talk to them and find out what, what they might have recorded and what that would have looked like? Um, form of what is it in the form of, um, well, you know, and knowing, well, knowing the, the reason is because at the time we didn't think anything had gone into the water. The object stayed about 50 feet above the water and then t took off. It never actually went into the water as far as we could tell on radar. It wasn't our situational awareness that anything had gone in the water. So sonar wasn't really a, a, a part of the, um, what was happening, you know, the script that was playing out. The, the equation. Yeah. Uh, so um, I want to ask you, um, you had said in, in May of 2020, um, you stated on uh, Alejandro Rojas's show, Down of Geeks, that you and the UAP tax team, um, UAPX team, uh, suspected there might be a pattern of these crafts appearing in the same Southern California coast airspace um, at the same time. Uh, did you get a chance to prove this hypothesis? Um, you know, why do you think that these objects would return to the same location, the same time of the year? Yours was November, so maybe it was because yeah. of the Thanksgiving Black Friday sale type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I love that. <laughs> I love a sense of humor. Um, well, we picked November because that's when the Tic Tac thing went down. November, and in, in, I had convinced enough of us that it, there was some something to do with the whales. Hmm. And there was nothing, there was nothing beyond that in terms of brilliant idea or anything. That, I mean, that's the reason why we chose November. So when you came back, did, did it work? Did you see not only, um, these contacts, these, these UAPs, but were they in the same maneuvers? Were they the same amount of them? Um, well, you, you've seen that Caroline Corey's movie, Terror in the Sky. Mm -hmm. Um, we were set up and we had a team on uh, Catalina Island. We had a team over there on the beach on the, you know, a flat roof on a house right there on the beach. Cost an ungodly amount to rent, by the way. And also we get a report from Catalina. I got something. I got something. Everyone comes running up. We, we get everything up and, um, a hole opens up in the sky, literally. And five objects that we got on radar appeared through this hole in the sky. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that's why the that's why the name of this movie is called "A Terror in the Sky." Yeah, and, people. See, see, I mean, people are calling it a wormhole, but mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, we of course we don't know. You tell me what it was. I don't know. Yeah, but they showed up. They showed up for us. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, it's still a great demonstration. The movie. And, 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 oh, and oh, by the way, let me let me. Yeah. Get, we, we had a quantum physicist on that roof with us. We have six six hundred plus hours of data of what happened that's currently being analyzed and there's academic papers that are now being written and hopefully will be out before too long about that's what we found. Yep. Well, speaking of, of coming out to the public, um, I hear 
I hear tales that there's another UFO congressional hearing coming and that someone that we know might be going. Talk to me about that. Yeah, um, Michael Hall, um, our attorney from uh, UAPX days, is my pro bono attorney. He's in direct contact with Representative Carson's office. And um, I'm hopeful that I'll be called to testify at the next round. Now, be mindful that it's going to, it's probably not going to be, it's going to be um, later rather than sooner because of everything that's going on with elections and all the other stuff that's happening now. And I think that's the right answer. I mean, let's take our time and do this right, get the right people up there and not make a circus out of it, you know, and get to the bottom of this with some decent testimony, people telling the truth. So, so what do you, if you look at me? You can, Dean, especially you look at me, man. I I'm, do I look like I'm lying to you, man? No. In any way, shape or form, man, this thing happened and it, it changes you. It, it, it can change you. It doesn't change everyone, but it can change you in profoundly. So what, what are you hoping that the, the uh, theme of this second meeting? Um, I think, there, I think there'll be legislation in, in, a, in addition to the whistleblower legislation that just got passed, which is awesome. I don't know if everyone's heard about that, but it protects people coming out and say, Hey, I saw a UFO while they're at work, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, they won't lose their job out of it like certain other people have. So yeah, in, 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 in addition, I mean, that's good, but the, I want three things. I want, um, funding for education. This is, we got to educate the planet on what's about to happen. In my view, I think it's about to happen. I, and why I don't know, but I, I know how we can get ready for it. Let's educate people. That's what I want. And number two, I want funding for, uh, field teams for doing more data collection. Let's go out and figure out what the hell this is and be real about it. Let's sober up and figure out, put our pants on, buckle up and get it done. Right. And number three, I want to bury the hatchet. I want to make it okay to talk about if you have an experience that you don't have to feel shy anymore. You're taking the kids to school and you and your kids see this thing that you can't explain in the car. Now, guess what? You can go home and talk about it without everyone in the neighborhood thinking you're nuts mm-hmm. necessarily, you know? Yeah. That's what I want. Three simple things. So I'm curious how we're going to be able to track um, the difference between open communication between witnesses where there's no ridicule and, uh, and no repercussions. I'm curious how we're going to track that. We're you know going to track those reports that come in. I know that John Greenwald will be, doing FOIAs left and right if, if you know more well we have out. other we have other um people protection laws in place like sexual harassment policy and stuff like that this would probably be enforced along the same type of law you know same way it would take someone um to file file a complaint and then it goes you know goes through the process and that just like any other um personnel policy in law yeah that's how I see it would play out mm-hmm um, do you think that there's a, an alternate universe where Kevin Day doesn't see this, doesn't have this experience? Um, and and how does that factor in? How much of this has, has changed you? Like, did you feel like you were on a well, trajectory and all of a sudden it changed? And, and well, um, my thoughts on alternate universes. <laughs> I have to imagine that if, if intention caused the Big Bang and it created our 
our universe, there's at least a 50-50 chance that an alternate one was created too. So I, I have to say 50-50 chance that what you just asked me is true. Because yeah. I don't know otherwise. Yeah. But I have reason, I have a way to think that it could be possible by what I've shown you. Yeah, because it all goes back to intention. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. That's the missing link here. So these things that these things are, because they're they're aware. How in the hell are these things aware? You know, and an intent, an intention based object explains that. Yeah. Well, as we said, it turned and lo- and looked at him. Because like a uh, gravity has gravitons, the force carrier for gravity is gravitons. Or so. Similarly, the force carrier for intention would be in, intentitons. All right. We need another hour. Um, we need to yeah. wrap up and <laughs> do a part two, brother. But um, it's been so great talking with you, uh, especially. Amen. Um, Thanks for having me. This new venture of yours. Very excited about it. Please keep us and posted. Thank you to Kim for saving it for us. Yeah. She <laughs> saved She saved our butts on that one. We Hey, for everyone listening, we made it by three minutes getting online. So. <laughs> Kevin, thank you again, my friend. Um, I love you, man. Love yeah, you, brother. You Wish you best yeah, of luck. We'll up. talk soon. All right, bye. Bye. All right. So um, thank you, everyone, for uh, for listening and uh, and for being uh, patient as I um, host my first podcast. And um, looking forward to uh, um, giving you more updates on uh, Martin and how he's doing. But um, he seems to be doing fine. He was watching the show and and doing his own commentary on it. Um, And so uh, love you, Martin. Uh, Bill, thank you so much, brother. Uh, Appreciate it as well. And uh, we're going to sign off uh, right now. And so uh, the next time I see you guys is going to be actually in um, Northampton, Massachusetts, for uh, for Randy Nickerson's premiere of Aerial Phenomenon. There may still be tickets for that available as well. So that's a Friday and Saturday night. We're going to be filming there. Um, it'll be Saturday, probably East Coast time around 8.50, <clears throat> 9 p.m. That's going to be great because there's going to be a panel there. Um, Willie Streber is going to be uh, zoomed in and um, a few other folks and some surprises. So um, thanks again and um, keep watching the skies. Bye.